donation after circulatory death, or DCD donation, is a new method of heart transplant. Instead of stopping and removing a heart from a brain-dead donor, then transporting that stilled heart on ice, surgeons wait for the donor heart to stop beating in the donor, then remove it, restart it, and place it in a special box that keeps it warm and beating until it's reimplanted. It's pretty wild stuff. This week on The Surgery Set, my guests are cardiac surgeons Dr. Amy Fiedler and Dr. Jason Smith. Late last year, they were the lead surgeons to perform UW's first DCD heart transplant, making us the third center in the country to perform this operation. DCD donation has the promise to expand the pool of potential donors, allow doctors to ensure healthy hearts for transplant, and potentially improve outcomes for our transplant patients. Enjoy. From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming in to the uh, Surgery Set studio here to talk about something that had you guys on the front page of the paper not too long ago. <laughs> indeed, indeed, very exciting. Yeah, it's really, I mean, just fascinating. Maybe just give us a little overview of what you've done, which is uh, a cardiac transplant after cardiac death. What, what does that mean? Let's just start there sure, and we'll sure. kind of take it from there. To understand the whole process, you kind of have to take it back to the beginning. And when heart transplant began, back in 1968 uh, with Christian Bernard uh, and his first transplant in South Africa. The donor was in the hospital with the recipient. The donor was essentially brain dead. However, at that time, there was no definition for brain death. Right. And we've talked to Josh Bezrich on the podcast, who's written a whole book about like how they got to that point. Exactly. Yeah. And so because they had no definition for brain death, they had to basically withdraw life support from the donor and allow her to cardiac arrest, to declare her dead, and then proceed to rapidly procure the heart and rush it over to the room next door and sew it in, kind of not really knowing whether the heart would restart in the recipient and whether the, how that would go. Subsequent to that first transplant. There were a whole slew of transplants that kind of got going around the world using that same technique. And what we know today is that the outcomes in that early period of transplant were really, really poor, in part because of this period where, we, where the heart suffered an ischemic or lack of uh, ischemic injury or lack of blood flow for a period that we know impacts the heart, but we don't really any individual heart is going to suffer that injury differently, and we have no way of really measuring that. Like, we know that kidneys, for instance, like back in the day when I did kidney transplants as a resident, like you would get the cooler, you like put it in the closet, go home, have a nap, come in, like put a kidney in. Right. Livers were like a little bit more of a rush, and I've always thought of hearts as like lickety split, like you don't have like the hours and hours that you would have for other organs. Right. Well, from a warm ischemic time, standpoint, which is what's happening when you have a, a cardiac arrest and you're trying to get the heart out, you only have minutes. Mm. And so what we learned from that early period of transplant was that a brain death approach was much safer. And when the Harvard Commission produced a document that outlined a definition of brain death that was later adopted by Congress and then disseminated to all the states and adopted in all 50 states, 
that now we have a legal definition of brain death by which donors can be declared deceased. Even if their heart, and right, sort of by definition, their heart is still pumping, their mm -hmm. organs are still perfused, right? Correct. And that's the, the sort of traditional donor pool. Correct. Yeah. Ever since about 1970, yeah. this is how we've collected donors for heart transplant and, and really all kinds of transplant until we started getting back into the DCD donors for liver and kidney and ultimately lung. But in the heart specifically, we haven't gotten back into using these donations after cardiac death because of that undefined ischemic period and no way to test the heart before it gets put in the recipient. So a new technology that's come onto the scene for organ preservation allows an ex vivo or out of the body assessment of the heart and out of body preservation on a beating heart. So the heart gets taken out and instead of getting packed in ice and rushed off to the recipient, the heart gets put on a pump and blood gets perfused into the aorta and through the coronary arteries. The heart starts beating and is kept alive, beating in a warm temperature on this machine until it's ready to go into the recipient. And that allows the heart to be out of the body for an extended warm period of time. Normally a warm period of a couple of minutes is all you would have here where we have warm periods anywhere from four to 10 hours. And you can make assessments of how the heart is working during that time. Exactly. So we can follow metabolic parameters and functional appearance of the heart and measure the pressures that the heart can generate. And that allows us to assess sort of by experience now how that heart is doing on the pump. And based on that, make an assessment about whether that heart is safe to use in a recipient and move forward with a DCD heart transplant. Talk a little bit about sort of how, the, how does this work pragmatically, right? So now we're, was it the third place ever to do this? Sure. How does this work? So it works in a pretty similar fashion to the way that we do normal heart transplants. The real difference is on the procurement side or, or taking the heart out of the donor's body. So primarily, like Dr. Smith was saying, the use of the DCD heart, uh, we're able to use the DCD heart because it's going on this machine. So you can imagine when you're not just taking the heart out of the body and putting it on ice, there's some logistical, technical stuff to hook it up to the machine. And that's where the difference is, so in the procurement process. And even before that, the way this works is the donor who, you know, doesn't meet sort of by definition, right, doesn't meet criteria for brain mm -hmm. death, but is clearly profoundly ill yeah. in his likely to die at any mm -hmm. moment, right? Actually goes to the operating room and is monitored as their heart stops and they become legally, yeah. technically dead. And then you've got to like, then get this heart go. out yeah, real yeah. quick, so right? that, Yes, and so that's really what's different. And so yeah. the, from, from that standpoint, that's really logistics. And so what happens is we have great organ coordinators that speak with the family members of the donor understanding that there's likely no meaningful recovery that's going to happen. But since the patient doesn't meet the standard brain dead criteria, one way that they can continue to live on or gift their organs is through the DCD donation. And so specifically with the heart, or with any organ really, the patient will go into the operating room and will be on the monitor still, but all of the life-sustaining treatment will be withdrawn. And when life-sustaining treatment is withdrawn, we then monitor the patient to see if they actually pass away through a cardiac death. 
and that's monitored by lack of respirations and then going asystolic. If that happens within a predetermined period of time, there's a, what we call a stand-down period, and that's really hospital and state dependent. But after the mandatory stand-down period, which is anywhere between two and five minutes, mm-hmm. the procuring teams kind of rush in there and do what they can as quickly as possible in order to access the organs and then flush them with cold solutions, at which point the warm ischemic period that Dr. Smith was talking about is over and the cold ischemic period begins. So you are like, you come in and oh, like have this patient, blazing. gun, like you are moving fast. I assume mm-hmm. heart goes first in this sort of situation. Yeah, you know, it kind of depends on how quick we're going to be. When we yeah. use this, when we use the organ care system made by Transmedics, one of the things that we need is we need blood because that machine is allowing us to have the heart beat and be perfused. We actually place a, a cannula into the heart and drain almost a liter and a half of blood from the donor before we even start the flush because that blood is collected and then put into the machine. So you're using the donor's own blood. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And so once we do that, then we're able to put in our other cannula, flush the heart with cold, and then start working on cutting the heart out safely in order to then put it on the machine. And once you've got things cold, then you, know, you can yeah. Once you've got slow things down cold, you can bit. slow down. Yeah. Make sure you take your time. You don't make you don't make any injuries. And once the heart's out of the donor's body, there's some technical aspects about putting in effectively like hooks to hook the heart up to the machine, have it vented safely etc. And then we start the period of the heart beating on the machine and being perfused by the machine. So these patients are presumably not patients who are, you know, at the the verge of death because of heart-related problems, right? That's like the, right, the, yeah, the idea is the heart is healthy. Mm-hmm. Something else about their body chemistry makes the heart stop, but it's not that the heart is bad itself. Totally, right? yeah, and that's a really important point. It's We still assess these donors the same way that we would assess a brain-dead donor, meaning that they have to have the appropriate size and weight criteria for the recipient and that the heart doesn't have a problem. We want to take a heart that has structural abnormalities or bad coronary artery disease, et cetera. So we're um, working under the assumption that the heart is a good heart. The difficult thing would be, and why this OCS machine is quite useful, is to see what the impact of the warm ischemic time is on a good heart. The vast majority of the donors that are DCD donors are also severely neurologically injured they just don't meet the narrow definition of brain death that we have in the United States. And so uh, probably upwards of 95% of DCD donors have some life-ending neurologic injury. They just haven't lost all of their neural reflex. There's some brain stem activity that, that doesn't allow them to really be diagnosed with brain death. There are extremely rare circumstances where someone is neurologically okay and they have some other disease process that is life-ending for which they undergo a withdrawal of support. And these would be things perhaps like high cervical spine injury with a locked-in syndrome or you know, a, an advanced ALS patient or mm. something like that. But that would be a very rare circumstance. The vast majority would be a neurologic injury. And so people are with... Support is withdrawn, and then the, the patient doesn't breathe doesn't on breathe. their own, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. And that respiratory arrest mm-hmm. leads to the cardiac. cardiac arrest, which then allows you to recover a 
a heart that is potentially very young and healthy and mm -hmm. as soon as it gets some oxygen back is like ready to go. Yeah, exactly right. And that's the beauty of the machine. Like Dr. Smith was saying, we can assess the metabolic parameters of the heart and there even is the capacity to shoot coronary angiograms while the heart is pumping and being perfused wow. on the machine. You can echo it. So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do as a result of this heart being instrumented and on the organ care system in order to assess it after it's been procured from the donor. Back in 2008, I was a consultant on a television pilot about a cardiac surgeon with schizophrenia. Mm. And, you know, like, you know, the life and times of this cardiac surgeon, she was, you know, amazing cardiac surgeon, but, you know, had some mental illness issues. And it actually didn't get picked up because focus groups found that it was incredibly unrealistic. Not that there would be a surgeon with schizophrenia, but that there would be a surgeon who was a woman. Mm. Which tells you something about focus groups. <laughs> that was in 2008. Um, that wasn't that long ago, right? But um, I think that the the overwhelming sense I got when I was sort of building this pilot was of you know technological promise in cardiac surgery. This is like the last time I paid close attention to pediatric or to cardiac surgery before I like devoted myself to pediatrics. But one of the things that they wanted to do in this show was they wanted to have like a cooler with a beating heart in it. And I was like, well, that doesn't exist. You can't do that. It's like totally unrealistic. And it turns out like now, okay, let's like flash forward. That's you guys are like walking down the hall with a little machine and like you look in a window and there's a heart yeah. beating in there. Sort of, it's more of a sort of a grocery cart size. Okay. Bigger, bigger than a cooler. Yeah, bigger than a cooler. And it's warm. So yeah. it's not a cooler, really. It's a heater. So yeah. It's in a little heater box. <laughs> but yeah, the, it's a self contained unit that has a cardiopulmonary bypass pump, basically, that pumps the blood through an oxygenator, has oxygen tanks that provide oxygen flow to the oxygenator to oxygenate the blood, and three channel, like an ICU pump. So we can put three medication channels into the line to support the heart with epinephrine and adenosine and other reagents that help the heart recover. We has monitor ports to draw blood and to do blood gases and things to monitor the, the electrolytes and the pH balance and everything in the yeah. heart and the lactate production. The other thing that's really nice about this pump, so for the people listening, a lot of times when we're doing these brain dead heart transplants, the implanting surgeon is under a big time crunch. You have to be very clear in communication with your procuring team to make sure that the times line up because when the heart is going to be placed on ice, it really has a finite time for cold ischemia. We like to try to keep it under four hours. So that limits our ge geography that we can travel to with respect to how fast and far we can fly. And it also makes it so when the heart arrives into the operating room of the implanting surgeon, ideally you'd be wanting to be ready to go to minimize the time that the heart's sitting on ice. One of the great things about the organ care system, which we do with the DCD heart transplants, is the heart can be perfused and pumped on this machine for a long period of time, like we talked about at the beginning. So that relieves a lot of the stress and anxiety on the implanting surgeon to move quite quickly to explant the donor or the recipient heart, um, which is important because we have patients now that are more complicated. They might have had multiple previous operations for congenital heart disease, or they have an LVAD. So many times our recipients recipients just digging out the recipient's heart in order to prepare them for the heart transplant can be technically challenging and time consuming. And so the organ care system allows us to alleviate a lot of that time crunch so yeah. we can all kind of take a breath and do things safely. Right, because you don't want to start an operation on someone and then find out that the donor heart is actually not going to work. Mm -hmm. Or, heaven forbid, you know, they like get stuck in traffic. Yes, yeah, that happens. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. right. And, you know, today, unlike 
30 years ago, the majority of our heart transplant recipients have had previous cardiac surgery. And probably 40 to 50% of them have left ventricular assist devices. Wow. And so the explant of that and recipient heart cardiectomy are not generally straightforward operations <laughs> and take quite a bit. It can take anywhere from two to four hours to prepare the recipient. Yeah. And so having that leeway with the pump really does make a huge difference in terms of the stress level of the operation and improves the, the coordination. Now, that's totally independent of the DCD heart transplant mm -hmm. process. That's uh, more dependent just on the use of the ex vivo perfusion machine. So when the time comes, I get traditionally, right, from a, with an organ donated from a brain-dead donor, you get a, a heart in a, that's stopped. It's not beating. It's in mm -hmm. a bag of ice or surrounded by bags of ice and you place it and you can restart it. This, now you have a heart that arrives in the operating room beating. Yeah. Do you then have to, you have to stop it again? Yep, so you have to stop it and again. And cool it again and then implant it? You basically stop it again. It's a series of steps to get the heart off of the pump, basically yeah. weaning the pump down. You get the, um, you just take the heart off the pump. You put it still on ice. We like to keep it cold when it's off of the pump. And then we run cardioplegia through it as well. And that's for two reasons, to keep it cold and to try to keep it metabolically inert. And then we sew it in just the same way that we would a brain-dead heart. And it should start up just the same way that a brain-dead heart would once it's all implanted into the recipient. Extraordinary. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so this is now a study. We are one site of several sites doing this. And what's the future? It stays a study for a while and becomes mainstream at some point, hopefully. I believe it will. You yeah. know, obviously some of that depends on the outcome of the study. Sure. The trial right now has three open centers that are enrolling at the University of Wisconsin, Duke University, and Mass General Hospital in Boston. There are other centers that are training and should be opening soon, and I think ultimately there'll be about 10 centers in the trial before it finishes, and so we'll see who else gets involved. And then the trial is probably going to run for a year and a half to two years, I would say. But I think we have an inkling of where this is going based on the results that we've seen from the United Kingdom and from Australia, where yeah. this technique has already been utilized. They've analyzed their results and have commercialized this process. And so they have two-year data on a cohort of patients that demonstrates excellent survival. In fact, survival better than what we would consider a standard criteria donor. Hmm. And so long-term outcomes, or at least mid-term outcomes, appear to be potentially, to, you know, we'll see what, our, what it is in our hands, but potentially superior to what we have done for the last, you know, 30 years for transplant. So hopefully we will mimic that result and, and have really good outcomes from this process. And expand the pool of yeah. donors, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other component of it. So DCD aside, even you, well, including DCD, we've been expanding our donor pool now for the past handful of years, somewhat related to the opioid crisis, otherwise related to our willingness as transplant centers to kind of push the boundaries a bit in terms of age and distance that we're willing to travel. But when you look at the data for DCD donors across the United States, there's 
I think over 2,000 DCD organs that are available, or DCD donor patients available. And so even if we could use a fraction of those for DCD heart transplant, that truly grows our donor pool astronomically, considering in the United States we do just a little over 3,000 heart transplants each year. Wow. So even a fraction of the 2,000 DCDs that are available would make quite an impact in terms of our, our overall numbers. Just so fascinating and so cool and like, I mean it is, it's like science fiction. Yeah. You know, like the, the future is now. Yeah, it's a lot more exciting to see a DCD heart reanimated on the pump than looking at a DCD liver <laughs> yes, sitting, right, sitting, sitting, there. sitting on the pump. <laughs> and this pump can be used for multiple organs then, right? Is it? Or there are specific ones for There are organs, specific or? pumps for specific organs. Yeah. It's the same platform. But the idea of like building um, a, a perfusion system. Right. right. And there are multiple machine perfusions for each organ. Transmedics, who is running this trial, does have a device for liver and a device for lung. Um, there are other companies that have liver and lung and working on heart devices. So we'll see as things move forward what, what that means. You know, you mentioned what does this mean for the future. And, it's pretty exciting, and you, you'd think, why not do this on every donor? You know, why just DCDs, or why just extended criteria donors? And really, I think the biggest stumbling block is going to come down to the cost of doing this procedure. It's very expensive to use the device. The disposables that, that go with the device are extremely expensive, and it adds quite a bit of cost to the transplant, which currently gets passed on ultimately to the insurance companies but eventually then you know that's going to add up and if you did it on every transplant it would be exorbitantly expensive increasing probably the cost of transplant in general by if you did it on everyone it would probably increase the cost of transplant by 25 or 30 percent which i think is unsustainable yeah so i don't think it will take over the methodology in transplant i do think there are some other approaches to dcd that are coming that may allow us to do the DCD process and recovery and assessment of the heart without using super expensive technology. I think this ex vivo heart perfusion machine strategy will be with us for the long haul because of the things it allows us to do in terms of transporting the organ and extending the time. But specifically in terms of DCD, I think there may be some other options that allow us to do that at a, at a much more economical level. We'll see that that's coming. That's sort of the nature of innovation, right? right? You come up with extremely expensive solutions that then they find newer, cheaper ways to do it. Right, right. So exactly. On. Yeah, and hopefully as this technology evolves and expands, it can be made cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, sooner or later we'll be able to do it with our phones. Yeah, right? exactly. exactly. <laughs> Portable. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and telling us about this amazing new frontier that, uh, you know, as always, whenever we talk about transplant on this podcast, like we hear about, you know, amazing an amazing history that has become an amazing present and is becoming really exciting things coming on the line. And as usual, we're sort of like right in the at the top of the pile. So this is fantastic, and thank you so much. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Next time on The Surgery Set, Dr. Lee Wilkie of our very own Department of Surgery joins me to discuss how she helped develop a new device for breast surgery. Her new detectable marking clip for breast biopsies could eliminate the need for placing a wire through the skin to localize a tumor. Wires can be tricky for doctors and nerve-wracking for patients to the point that some of them end up fainting. Dr. Wilkie shares the story behind this new innovation and what it means for the future of breast surgery. Talk to you soon.
And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in, and if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Wisc Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.